0: Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. All right. I'm going to jump right in here. I want to start off with the Durham testimony the other day. And I have a number of posts here from Great Awakening, including a bunch of comments to an initial post that do a pretty good job of, of looking at this objectively and summarizing a great deal. There were individuals, again, on the right who were complimentary of what John Durham was doing and then a few that attacked him for basically not doing a whole lot. I do have one piece of audio that I want to play. I would encourage people to understand the much larger picture here. You're talking about treason, sedition, and espionage. This is not something that can be handled in a federal court. This is for a military tribunal. Not to mention you're dealing with classified information. So when it comes to classified information dealing with specifically treason, espionage, and sedition, and things of that nature, that's serious, which again are punishable by death, you can't bring that out in a federal court. Nor can you write about that in a report that is disseminated to the public, let alone a congressional committee. This is all being done on purpose, of course. Now, John Durham knows exactly what's taken place here. He knows what this is, and he said it toward the end of his testimony. And I'll read that direct quote here in a little bit, but there's a lot to this. And this is a step in the process because, as even the Q post stated, this has to be done by the book. There can't be missteps in this process that mess up the entire thing. In fact, it was even Adam Schiff during the Durham testimony where he was trying to get Durham. To admit that he had violated some DOJ regulation, and Durham basically said, "I I don't think I have. If I have, then I had no idea I was violating anything." So again, the people like Adam Schiff who are directly involved in the treason, sedition, and espionage, they're doing whatever they can and panicking big time throughout this entire process to try to get everybody to understand that they weren't involved when in co- when in fact, of course, they were involved. They were directly involved in all of this, and they are the ones, of course, that are going to be held accountable ultimately. But this is taking time because it has to take time. Durham's not going to sit on all of this information and do nothing with it. He has to hand it off to the appropriate people. And John Durham isn't the only person looking into this. There are numerous individuals looking into this who are behind the scenes. Not to mention, again, when was the last time we heard? of judges or lawyers who specifically engaged in military tribunals. You typically don't. Not ever. Again, I'm not a lawyer, not pretending to be, but I know that much. So let me get into these posts and get into these comments too. I also, of course, have some education-related things and hardly any jab-related things. I do have one interesting uh, quote or summary from a speech by Michael Crichton that I want to read here at the end having to do with science and consensus, which I think is rather interesting. So here we go. Back to Durham. Here was a post again that was made the day of after the testimony, and it was titled, Two Huge Takeaways from Durham Testimony Regarding Mueller and Classified Information. said, I'm posting this because I think they are huge, and because in an hour I will forget what I thought was huge and why I thought it. They said, Classified Information. I think he's telling us without telling us that it's best to leave the really bad treason and collusion with foreign government to military tribunals. Why do I think this? Because when asked on numerous occasions why he didn't prosecute Hillary, Obama, Comey, etc., he referred to, in a roundabout way, to classified information. Later on, he says that sometimes even if there is evidence of a crime, the evidence might come from classified information that is never going to see the light of day, quote unquote, in a criminal prosecution. I would expect that's because the information was obtained pursuant to surveillance that passes muster for a military prosecution but not a criminal prosecution. Because if you're, com- if you're committing treason, rather, you're an enemy combatant and you do not have Fourth Amendment search and seizure protection. Maybe someone here who knows more about criminal law than I do could answer that question, but the whole point of FISA is that they can surveil without a regular warrant because of national security concerns. He thinks Mueller is a patriot. This should reignite the Mueller-White House B.H. discussion, LOL. And then there were a bunch of comments related to that. Again, I completely agree with that assessment. Classified information can't come out in any of these hearings. He can't talk about it. He knows that, but he also, based on his oath, can't sit on that information and not do anything with it. Here was the last thing that Durham said during his testimony. He said, quote, I don't think things can go much further with the view that law enforcement, particularly the FBI or Department of Justice, runs a two-tiered system of justice. The nation can't stand under those circumstances, unquote. That's brilliant, and that's perfect and 100% accurate. It feels like this is a major turning point in things right here, because he's basically saying, you can't have these institutions anymore doing what they're doing. Something has to change. And again, as we know, these organizations have engaged in child trafficking, organ harvesting, money laundering, racketeering, pick a crime, treason, sedition, espionage, probably since their inception, including, of course, the assassination of presidents and politicians and so on and so forth. They have to be destroyed. They have to be gotten rid of completely. And and you can't I I, I personally don't even think that you can hang a few people. And hang the people that were responsible and still expect those working within those institutions to somehow just do the right thing from then on out. You know, give them a front row seat to the hanging and then say, see what happens when you don't do your job? This is what happens. I don't think you can still expect those people to go back to their jobs and do the right thing all of the time. Again, I'm not saying that. There aren't good people who work within those organizations. I'm sure there's the everyday worker who does just a fine job and whatever else. What we also know, however, is that a lot of the people who work within the FBI and the DOJ are not awake. Just because they work for those institutions doesn't mean that they are awake to the corruption that exists within. A lot of them are just nine to fivers. Again, they they Go to work, they do their job like a normal person, and then they go home and they go, "Yeah, I work for the DOJ, I work for the FBI, but they have no idea what really goes on at the worst levels within those institutions. but all the more reason again to not even have them around, just get rid of the entire thing altogether. And I think that we're going to see that if we stay alive long enough to see that. and again, it's it's also with the certainty that Donald Trump will will re-enter the scene. With the title of President of the United States, not just Commander-in-Chief and the other titles that he currently has, because he still is the Commander-in-Chief, I personally think that we're going to see that happen. And frankly, that has to happen after he's won an election. And again, that election would have to be completely controlled by the White Hats to ensure that he wins. And then at the exact same time, the destruction of those institutions has to happen on his watch. He has to be the one in office when those institutions are destroyed, because that's when all of the evidence comes out about when Biden was in office and what they were doing during that time. So it's not like a a Biden fake presidency here is going to be the one that destroys these institutions. The good guy has to be in office, even for the sheep to see. Once the evidence is, is brought out to the public, and again, once these military tribunals are televised, which by the way, that was an executive order, that they are allowed to be televised, if not an executive order, but actual past law, that, that they will be televised in the future, we will physically see this. I'm not the only person who thinks this way. I know a lot of other people do. But anyway, let me get back to some of the, uh, the comments here. Here is another one. It said the military industrial complex arm of the deep state may be getting weaker, but the military brass that matters has never been stronger or had more resolve to protect the homeland than at present. Just as we are living through the time of two presidents, so too are we living through the time of a binary military, one that has traditionally been the strong arm of the deep state and cabalists around the world, and one that has been dedicated to the eradication of the Central Intelligence Agency and the deep state infestation that has plagued our country since long before President Kennedy declared his war on all levels of the deep state operation. The cabal wants you to believe that their propaganda, that the woke, have taken over everything. They are very good at disseminating propaganda to make you feel as though you are in the minority, and their kind are in the majority. Their influence on our military is dwindling with each and every passing day. The appearance that they have any real influence over high-level fifth-gen warfare and the Q-team's plan is as thin as a coat of paint on a freshly manufactured tank. Do not fall for their theatrics and deception. That was another post. Now what I want to do here is I just want to read three Q posts, and then I have two audio clips from Durham's testimony that I want to play, both from the Republican side. This is one of the earlier Q posts from November 1st of 2017. It's post number 22. It says, quote, who controls the National Guard, or NG? Why was the National Guard recently activated in select cities within the United States? Can the National Guard work in coordination with the Marines? Do uh, do conditions, rather, need to be satisfied to authorize? What former president used the military to save the Republic and what occurred exactly? biggest drop to ever be provided on poll study and prepare the masses tend to panic in such situations no war no civil unrest clean and swift unquote. again this has to be done by the military it can't be done by anybody else and as this next one says and there are two actually here from the exact same day both on april uh let's see both on april 15th the first one says the following It says, uh, you have to sense the tension building. This is what Q is being asked. It's it's becoming a tinderbox. They said, imagine if we weren't here. While difficult, it's important to understand this must be done by the book. Average people must be able to digest and accept, factually, events. FISA lead-in, stage one, act one. Bad actors had to be removed. Good actors had to be installed sleepers had to be uncovered. We are ready. Think bar. Public. Q. And then there's this post also, which was on the exact same day, which is April 15th of 2020. It says, do you think it was Paul Ryan's choice to step down? Rising star in Republican Party. Speaker of the House. Age. How old was he? Do you think it was Senator Flake's choice to step down? Q. And then a series of dots before." They signed off there. Again, these people were removed on purpose. Someone got to these people. Again, where is Jeff Flake now? It's again certainly rumored that Paul Ryan is associated with Fox News. Is he? Is he there? Was he given some kind of a deal in order to take Fox News as hard left as humanly possible to destroy Fox News from the inside? It's possible. I mean, Paul Ryan is, is is as dirty as dirty comes, but. All of that's very likely again it's it's warfare it's not designed to be visible to everybody. Not everybody's going to be able to understand it necessarily, but for anybody who's out there who can think multi-dimensionally and from multiple angles and work out as many scenarios as humanly possible, those are the individuals that are more likely to arrive at a logical answer rather than a person who's not even paying attention to anything So let me play these two audio clips now. This first one is from Chip Roy. He gets right to the point. He bombards him with a bunch of questions. They require short answers, and he hits him. He hits him with him. So give this a listen real quick. Again, this is about five minutes long.
1: Thank you, Chairman. Mr. Durham, uh, October 3rd, 2016, the FBI offered Christopher Steele a million dollars to provide corroborating evidence of the allegations in his reporting. Is that correct? Yes. Was that paid to him?
2: I'm sorry, was that what?
1: Was that paid to him?
2: Uh, that money was never paid out. There was right. no corroborating information. Mr. Steele relied solely
1: on a single unnamed subsource, correct?
2: Um, he said that he had a primary subsource who had a network of subsources.
1: On October 18, 2016, the FBI, FBI submits the application for Pfizer surveillance relying heavily on the Steele dossier. No corroboration, correct? And no corroboration for the substantive claims in that. But they knew report. Steele was a signed up paid informant. Could have asked for sources, never did, said he was reliable. No record of reliability, Correct.
2: Mr. Steele had provided information in other areas, not in this area on prior occasions.
1: The application relied, according to your report, at least in part, on the Clinton Plan intelligence, correct? I'm sorry? Can... And they, the FIIs application relied, according to your report, at least in part, on the Clinton Plan intelligence, correct? Yes. And they knew Steele had been hired by Fusion GPS, and Fusion had been hired by a law firm on behalf of senior Democrats, and that HC was aware, Correct.
2: At various points in time, those things became known to the FBI, yes.
1: In determ- December 2016, the FBI determined that Igor Danchenko, a Russian national, was previously subject to FBI investigation to be Steele's subsource, correct? Yes. They do not talk to Danchenko before the next FISA application, correct? Correct. January 12, 2017, the FBI goes back to renew the application for FISA surveillance, correct? Yes. Coincidentally, one week before Trump is inaugurated, correct? Correct. They then, after two trips to FISA, finally talked to Danchenko, basically determined it's all crap because they have been relying on a Democrat Democrat operative, Dolan, correct? Well,
2: part of that is true. They um, uh, clearly had relied on the information in the Steele dossier. There was a portion of one report from Steele that was definitely tied to Mr. Dolan.
1: Then in March of 2017, Jim Comey testified here on Capitol Hill that the FBI, under its counterintel authorities, has investigated Trump for collusion with Russia and people might get indicted, correct? Right, Is it normal for the FBI director to talk about Pfizer-related investigations publicly um, as a general matter?
2: I would say a general matter. I would say no.
1: Right. And again, knowing full well the uncorroborated allegations and knowing full well the genesis of said investigation was tied to Hillary Clinton's campaign, which the FBI director would have known.
2: People in the FBI knew that.
1: Correct. April 2017, they go back to FISA. They report they've interviewed principal source, that the source is credible, but they leave out the entire fact that it's only credible and making clear that they relied upon before was total garbage. They continue through the summer of 2017, correct? That's correct. Under federal law and FISA rules, once they know there's an error or some material fact is incorrect in previous applications, you're supposed to correct that, right? That's correct. Was that done here, yes or no? Not at the time. Was Deputy Director McCabe in charge of this investigation?
2: Uh, Deputy Director McCabe had um, direct involvement in the investigation. Was
1: Deputy Assistant Director Peter Strzok heavily involved in the investigation? And was FBI Director Comey briefed on the investigation?
2: The evidence that we, just, uh, uh, um, that we came upon was, yeah, they were definitely, this is driven by each seventh
1: floor. Each FISA application is a verified application, and there's a Woods file with every factual assertion kept in a file, correct? Correct. Is it reasonable to believe that senior FBI leadership and indeed senior leadership at the DOJ did not know all these failures to ensure truthful facts were used for each FISA application, an application directly focused on an American presidential campaign? Is it reasonable to believe that senior FBI leadership and indeed senior leadership at DOJ did not know these failures?
2: I would distinguish between what the FBI knew and what the Department of Justice uh,
1: knew. So FBI leadership knew it.
2: FBI and people in the FBI knew this information. Not everybody knew everything, but they had all this information.
1: Two final questions. In the fall of 2021, our colleague, Mr. Schiff, said in an interview, but at the beginning of the Russia investigation, I said that any allegations should be investigated. We couldn't have known, for example, people were lying to Christopher Steele. Is it remotely remotely conceivable that the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and the lead prosecutor of the impeachment of President Trump was uninformed that this investigation was kicked off based on a Clinton campaign Democrat-funded report with a witness Mr. Steele claiming facts that were uncorroborated and that ultimately came from a subsource, a Democrat operative Mr. Dolan? Is that conceivable um, and is in fact there evidence out of the House Intelligence Committee that directly contradicts that and that he did know in fact?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't know what Mr. Schiff would know um, at the time.
1: Finally, a final question. For the average American watching this, besides being fired, have Jim Comey, Andrew McCabe, or Peter Strzok been held accountable for these glaring violations? Have they been hauled before a grand jury or charged in any way? And if not, why not?
2: So they have not been. um, I'm not going to talk about matters that occur before the grand jury because I can't. But with respect to have uh, any of those individuals been charged, the
0: answer is no. You back: the General's expired General from Texas. The other general from Texas is recognized.: John Durham said something at the beginning of that that was telling, and there were little drops like this throughout his testimony, and I didn't watch the whole thing by a, by a long stretch. I listened to some of it when I was running some errands and things, but I went back and watched some of the clips. He was dropping particular hints about who he talked to and what he talked about with those people and what he didn't talk about with those people and then, of course, what those people he was talking to told him and what that was in relation to. If it wasn't in relation to anything that's in the Durham report, it means that those people were squealing. Christopher Steele must have told him a ton of stuff, without a doubt. But he can't speak about things that are classified. So in that in that exchange right there with Chip Roy, he said Christopher Steele spoke to me about things not on not but not on this matter. Well, what else did he talk to him about? He talked to him about who else was involved. This is this is huge. This is a big big deal. Again, regarding people like Paul Sperry who are out there putting tweets out saying that, you know, Durham is a is a whatever. Criticizing him and, and saying he never talked to Comey, he never talked to McCabe, he never talked to Hillary, he never talked to these people. Well, he did talk to Hillary Clinton as it turns out, that's a fact, but he didn't have to talk to Comey or McCabe because what's happening right now is is and has been happening certainly over the last year, two years, if not longer than that, since he's been special counsel is these individuals well since twenty twenty frankly, these individuals have been turning on one another. They've tried, they've tried to be on the same page in public, going on the Sunday shows, CNN, whatever, and saying that there's nothing here, that John Durham doesn't know what he's doing, and there was no wrongdoing, and there were some mistakes, but those have been cleaned up, and blah, blah, blah. This was not a mistake. This was treason, sedition, and espionage. He doesn't need any testimony from, Co- from James Comey, Andrew McCaber, anybody else. He doesn't need it. He already has it. He already has people turning on those individuals. He already has the proof. He already has information probably from the NSA, Space Force, and a thousand other communications. He knows that they were directly involved. He has them. And there's no there's no way and no reason why Comey and McCabe would voluntarily come in to talk to John Durham. Why would they do that? They're criminals. They're guilty in this whole thing. It's easier for them to take the side of communicating in the public arena because they think that they can control the narrative in the public arena. What they don't understand is the Comeys and McCabes of the world is their time is coming to an end on earth. And eventually they will be held accountable because they were directly involved. But Durham doesn't have to have their direct testimony in person because all that would happen is they would get caught lying. Or they would act as if they weren't a part of what was going on. It would be, it would be a trap for them. And they know that, which is again, why would they voluntarily talk to a prosecutor, let alone a special counsel and all of their lawyers around them? They wouldn't. They would just avoid it. And they were never subpoenaed. Why not? Because they didn't have to be. Because Durham has it all. The good guys have all of this information on these people. Durham is not a bad guy. This dude is 100% straight-up legit, and that's that's my opinion. There's no doubt about it. Let me play this audio as well. This is from another congressman, and he hits Durham again with a lot of direct points, but what he does in this is, is he goes specifically after the other Democrats who were testifying, or not testifying, but asking Durham questions, because as you would expect, when they were talking, They're just lying about particular things, and Durham just has to sit there and listen to it. So give this a listen. But the gentleman from California is recognized for five. Uh, Mr. Durham,
3: several people today, including ranking member uh, Madler and three representatives from California, uh, Mr. Schiff, Mr. Mr. Swalwell, and Mr. Liu, uh, have attacked you. Ranking member Nadler called your report a political exercise with ethical ambiguity. Uh, Mr. Liu uh, called you a partisan hack. However, it seems that they're taking issue not so much with the conclusions of your report as those of Mr. Mueller's report, uh, which concluded uh, that the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. That conclusion directly contradicted statements made on the record by those representatives. For example, Mr. Schiff in 2017-2018 made statements such as, the Russians offered help, the campaign accepted help, the Russians gave help, and the president made full use of that help, and that is pretty damning. He also said there's clear evidence on the issue of collusion. He said, I think there's plenty of evidence of collusion or conspiracy in plain sight. Mr. Durham, are those statements supported by the conclusions of the Mueller report? No. Mr. Durham, are those statements supported by the Mueller report? I don't believe so. Mr. Nadler stated, it's clear that the campaign concluded, and there's a lot of evidence of that. The question is, was the president involved? Mr. Nadler also said there was obviously a lot of collusion. Uh, Mr. Durham, were those statements supported by the Mueller report?
2: I don't believe they are supported by the Mueller report.
3: Mr. Liu stated uh, in a press release in March of 2017, the bombshell revelation that U.S. officials have information that suggests Trump associates may have colluded colluded with the Russians means we must pause the entire Trump agenda. We may have an illegitimate president of the United States currently occupying the White House. Uh, Mr. Durham, did the Mueller report establish that we had an illegitimate president occupying the White House? Not to my knowledge. Mr. Swalla stated in 2018, in our investigation, we saw strong evidence of collusion. Did the Mueller report support that there was strong evidence of collusion? Not to my knowledge. Even here today, we had uh, Mr. Schiff... uh, raised questions about your public statement uh, during the investigation, saying this somehow violated a DOJ uh, policy. However, Mr. Mueller himself made a public statement uh, in January of 2019. This is an article from CNN headline, Mueller's office disputes BuzzFeed report that Trump directed Michael Cohen to lie to Congress. So whatever policy there might exist in the DOJ with respect to public statements by special counsels, it would seem that you and Mr. Mueller would be on equal footing with respect to it. Is that correct? Seems so. Mr. Nadler, Ranking Member Nadler also suggested that we're only here today because of the recent indictments of President Trump. However, you received your assignment as special counsel in 2019. Is that correct?
2: That's correct. Uh, Special counsel in 2020. In 2020.
3: And was that before or after the events alleged in the recent indictments by by the president? That was before. And is it customary for a special counsel to come testify in Congress upon the issuance of the report?
2: This is my first experience of this sort of thing. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I know that uh, Director Mueller had had occasion to testify before Congress. So I, I guess this is not unique.
3: So it's pretty likely you would have been here whether or not the president had been recently indicted. Yes. Contrary to Ranking Member Napper's statement. I want to quote from you uh, a part of your report where you say uh, there are reasons why in examining politically charged and high profile issues, the office must exercise and has exercised special care. One of those statements you said is that even when prosecutors believe that they can obtain a conviction, there are some instances in which it may not be advisable to expend government time and resources on a criminal prosecution, particularly where it could create the appearance, even if unfounded, that the government is seeking to criminalize the behavior of political opponents or punish the activities of a specific political party or campaign. Uh, Could you just expound on that a little bit, this idea that there are prudential considerations that may counsel against prosecution? even if there has been some technical violation of a statute?
2: Sure. The um, standard principles of federal prosecution include, and it was a bedrock, that um, you ought not to bring a prosecution unless you believe in good faith that there's sufficient evidence to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt, the jury will convict, um, and that the conviction, a conviction, can be sustained on appeal. There may be those instances in which you're pretty well convinced that a crime was committed, you can identify the person who committed it, but you can't in good faith say uh, a jury is likely to convict in this case. We believe that uh, a jury will convict and that we can, can uh, sustain it on appeal. Those are the principles that we tried to apply here, that we followed here. They're the same principles I've followed for 40 years as a federal prosecutor.
3: But what are you referring to when you uh, when you say that there uh, might be additional considerations involving the perception that you're criminalizing the behavior of political opponents?
2: yeah, I mean th- these are these are difficult things. For example, uh, in this case, uh, I think all the members of the committee have had access to whether they took advantage or not. I don't know, but uh, we filed a, a classified appendix here, right. So there are some prosecutions where it may very well be that it looks like, and you think you can prove the crime beyond a reasonable doubt, but Because of the classified nature of much of your evidence, it's never going to see the light of day. So that might uh, preclude a prosecution. Um, Things things of that sort uh, that come up that uh, are part of the prudential judgment that a prosecutor has to make um, in these matters.
0: Very quickly, that was Congressman Kiley, if I'm saying that right, from California. If If you just heard John Durham right there at the end, he just said it. He said, in matters of classified information, that evidence will never see the light of day. It'll never see it, which means no jury can can rule on classified evidence. So who can? A military tribunal. They're the ones that can view classified evidence. That's what this is about. That's why it's classified. It's too important. It's too big. This isn't a parking ticket. This is overthrowing a duly elected president before he's in office, while he's in office, and then trying to make sure that he doesn't get reelected. I'm sure they have way more too, all the times that they tried to kill Donald Trump, and they've tried to kill him numerous times. This uh, This is too big. This is too big for a federal court. This has to be handled with a military tribunal. On top of that, the very same day, Adam Schiff was censured by the uh, House of Representatives. And again, that's that's a very big deal. Apparently, that's only happened 15 times in the history of our country. Now, just looking at Wikipedia here, based on the definition of what this means, it says the following, censure in the United States, a formal statement of disapproval toward a U.S. government figure. It says, censure is a formal public group condemnation of an individual, often a group member whose actions run counter to the group's acceptable standards for individual behavior in the United States government in the United States rather government censure is done when a body's member body's members wish to publicly reprimand the president of the United States a member of congress a judge or a cabinet member it is a formal statement of disapproval it relies on the target's sense of shame or their constituents subsequent disapproval without which has little uh, practical effect when does on members of Congress and no practical effect when done on the president. That was a little confusing, but whatever. It says the United States Constitution specifically grants impeachment and conviction powers respectively to the House of Representatives and Senate. It also grants both congressional bodies the power to expel their own members, though it does not mention censure. Each body adopts rules allowing censure, which is stronger than the simple rebuke, but not as strong as expulsion. In general, each House of Congress is responsible for invoking censure against its own members. Censure against other government officials is not common. Because censure is not specifically mentioned as the accepted form of reprimand, many censure actions against members of Congress may be listed officially as rebuke, condemnation, or denouncement. It says, members of Congress who have been censured are are required to give up any committee chairs they hold. Like a reprimand, a censure does not remove a member from their office, so they retain their title, stature, and power to vote. There are also no legal consequences that come from a reprimand or censure. The main difference is that a reprimand is considered a slap on the wrist and can be given in private and even in a letter. While censure is a form of public shaming, which the politician must stand before their peers to listen to the censure resolution. And that happened. Uh, Speaker McCarthy stood up in front of everybody, made the announcement, and the Democrats were all standing on the floor and they were yelling, shame, shame. And one of the one of the people who was yelling it ironically the most was uh, Eric Swalwell, who slept with a communist spy. I mean, he should be gone too. He should be off of every committee too. And they should just start going through these people, um, you know, one 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 individual at a time. But Adam Schiff was the one who ran the entire Ukraine hoax and the phone call hoax. He's the one who was in charge of the entire impeachment hoax. He was the one in charge of the entire uh Russia hoax. And why is that? Because allegedly Adam Schiff was caught in a in a hotel room in the Standard Hotel having sex with a kid who died while he was having sex with him. Ed Buck style, because he was friends with Ed Buck. And what was Ed Buck doing? Ed Buck was having sex with homeless black guys while he was drugging them up, and then one of them happened to die while Ed Buck was having sex with him while he was in Ed Buck's house. He's friends with Ed Buck, which begs the question, ladies and gentlemen, much like the question Posed regarding Hillary Clinton, how many people do you know who have committed suicide? Uh, you know, how many people have friends, thirty some odd friends, who have committed suicide while you're friends with them? That's the Hillary Clinton statement. But how many people do you know, or how many people are you friends with who use drugs and have gay sex with homeless guys while using drugs and kids at the exact same time? I I, I don't know of anybody. I'm not friends with any of those people, (laughs) but that's not the case with old Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff, again, this is one of the first public steps for him, where again, he's going to swing for what he's done. Again, the House can't kick him out, but a military tribunal can try him and hang him as a traitor. I'm telling you, I think this is coming. I really do. It's It's slow and methodical, and as the Q Drops said, it has to be done by the book. And this is being done by the book. It's in the military laws of justice that you have to hand things like this over to the military. You cannot hand it over to a federal judge or a local court. This isn't some town judge that can handle this kind of thing. This has to come from the most high up. And you're not going to hear who those people are. I mean, we're not going to hear those names but we might be able to watch it on television when the time comes because apparently, like I said earlier, that's now allowed. That's a thing. I want to mention this too, and it kind of dives into a little bit of the jab stuff, but it was a comment that Trump made when he's again standing in front of the camera and he's giving those short addresses that make their way onto social media. And of course he puts them out on his truth account, but he was commenting on Again, why is it that all of these children are sick? Why is it that all of these autoimmune conditions exist and the ADHD and the this and the that and the overweight and obese kids and blah, blah, blah? Well, as we know, it's all vaccine-induced. All of this is vaccine-related. As a result of all of that, when Trump re-enters office, he has stated that he's going to put together a commission to look into this. What that means is is it's not going to be just a Ron Johnson group of of numbskulls who are sitting around talking about it who are also controlled. This is going to be a group of individuals, again, hopefully, that are that are going to include more people who are in Congress. And the hours and hours and hours of testimony that ultimately we're going to hear in the future regarding people talking about All of the vaccine injury that exists, that there's no science that proves that vaccines work. And hopefully, these individuals again are not controlled. And they have the ability to go back in time and tell the true history of vaccination and how childhood cancer didn't exist before vaccination and mass illness didn't exist before vaccination, which means viruses are not real. There is just poison. And all of the poison that people take and inject into themselves is what is causing all of this harm. If that comes out publicly on a stage with sworn testimony where people are swearing to this, this is absolutely fantastic. Here's where you're going to find the good guys and the bad guys. and We're already seeing it right now among the medical community, but you're seeing who is willing to have the, the, the factual discussion that viruses don't exist, that all vaccines are poison. We're not seeing those individuals. Those individuals are are not in the seeming mainstream. It's not Peter McCullough. It's not uh, oh hell, I can see his face. the The doctor from Utah. You know who I'm talking about. Um, I'm sorry, I've forgotten his name. But but he's you know the mush guy. You just injected yourself with mush. That dude. Um, you know he, he's not out there saying it. We certainly can't get testimony from Simone Gold. She's an idiot. So uh, these aren't the individuals that we need out at the forefront. We don't need Robert Malone telling us what's going on about things. We need other individuals. There have to be other medical doctors out there who know the real history of the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, and how they completely corrupted the entire medical industry. Those are the people in the future that we have to hear from under sworn testimony in public talking about all of these death jabs and what they're doing to people. Once that cat is out of the bag, you can't, uh, the, the people right now who are at the forefront, like the, the Malones and the, and the McCulloughs, um, they're, they're going to be the ones that are on the back seat. They're going to be on the back burner. In fact, they're not even going to be on the grill anymore. They're going to be gone because their meat has gone bad. They're just stale at this point, and they're going to be stale in the future. They're in the forefront now, but I'm telling you, in the future, they're going to look like complete idiots, because we have to have more competent people come to the forefront who are willing to tell the truth about the history of this giant lie. So, I think there's good things coming. I think there's lots of good things coming. Lots to be optimistic about, and I like that. Okay. Uh speaking of that, let me play this too. This is kind of interesting. It's a little 5-minute audio from a guy in Dallas, Texas who addresses the Dallas City Council back in May regarding fluoride and how fluoride is poison and how all of these council members have been told this, and emailed this, and given the scientific proof and what's happened? Nothing. Now does this surprise us? No. You can bring all of the factual information to these city councils all you want about fluoride in the water, increased poison in the water, 5G, the jabs, whatever. These people are brain dead, but this guy's testimony is solid. And he lays out a very interesting point, which again is you have all of the proof. Now you're not doing anything about it and you're violating your oaths. But again, these people don't care about that. They do not care about their oaths. So give this guy a listen real quick. This is well done.
4: Joe Stokes, District 9. Mayor, Mayor, why do we persist in opposing fluoride? Mark Twain said it's easier to fool people than to convince them that they've been fooled. Well, sir, you have been fooled. I will add that fragile egos resist admitting they were wrong. Remaining ignorant or feigning ignorance covers a multitude of sins. Dallas City Council is responsible for adding toxic waste to our water. We persist in educating the victims of mass poisoning. We persist in exposing the Council's negligence, dereliction, and culpability. We informed you of the Harvard meta-analysis, which proved fluoridation lowers intelligence in children. You were informed of the conclusions of the recent National Toxicology Program Toxic Substance Control Act. As of July 18th, 2022, a total of 85 human studies have investigated the relationship between fluoride and human intelligence. Of these investigations, 76 studies have reported that elevated fluoride exposure is associated with reduced IQs in humans. We informed you that only 3% of the world artificially fluoridates their water. You have been informed that since 2010, more than 240 communities in North America have stopped fluoridation. You have been informed of LULAC's resolution opposing water fluoridation. We have video records of more than 160 presentations over 10 years imploring the council to stop fluoridation. We have records of all the studies we have reported on. We have all the handouts and documents we provided you. This is a recent study from Calgary Canada Canada that concluded Fluoride exposure during pregnancy from a community water supply is associated with executive function in preschool children, especially in young girls, a prospective ecological cohort study. I didn't know what that meant, executive function, so I looked it up. Executive function is a set of mental skills that enable us to plan, focus attention, remember instructions, and juggle multiple tasks successfully. It includes working memory, flexible thinking, and self-control. The brain needs this skill to filter distractions, prioritize tasks, set and achieve goals and control impulses these skills are thought to originate in the brain's prefrontal cortex trouble with executive function can make it hard to focus follow instructions handle emotion among other things that is why we persist why do you persist in this folly I'm convinced you are but the tool of those from above and behind you to maintain the degrading trajectory of dumbing down and handicapping the population you're entrusted to serve. Why do you persist? Puppets have no agency of their own. Why do we persist? It's the right thing to do. It is what conscience, intelligence, and courage does. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well done, Joe. Well done. That's well done. He's 100% right. I love it. I love it. They take these comments into consideration for a second, and then that's about it, which is too bad. It should just prove to everybody that the corruption is deep, and it is pervasive, and it is everywhere, and theres uh, I, I'm not sure what other solution there is going forward here regarding that hopefully someday in the future, we can get the fluoride out of the water and we can keep these people from being bought and sold and blackmailed. Because again, in the state of Texas, and I have brought this up before, and there's endless videos that, have, that I've put out on the war videos about this, but the Bass family in Texas owns pretty much everything. They run everything. And if you're uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth Arlington area of Texas, in order to maintain the position of, of, I don't know, political achievement that you have, so to speak, you have to run through that family first. That family has to approve a number of different things for you before you can even take that position. Sure, there are multiple separate oaths that you have to sign, Freemasonic oaths, a, a bunch of, uh, you know, a, a bunch of other things, it, but it's disgusting. But he's 100% right. The water is poisoning everybody who drinks it, in particular children. Because that's what they want. They want controlled sick children who don't think. And there you go. There's your American public school system in a nutshell. All right. Education stuff, here we go. A few things. First of all, I know that this story was making the rounds this week. I saw it over the weekend actually, and I didn't comment it from on uh, on Monday or Wednesday's show because I frankly think it's fake. But this is from the Insider, and it's titled "A Jewish Teacher Resigned Due to Anti-Semitic Comments from a 12-Year-Old Student Who's Facing Criminal Charges." Uh, this is out of uh, Dalton, Massachusetts, in, in again in a middle school. I, I don't, I, I find this hard to believe. I really do. Uh, the teacher's name is Morrison Robley, and apparently is claiming that this particular student again would make. Anti-Semitic jokes. Of course, there's no such thing as anti-Semitism. Uh, and then was told to stop. And then they did in the classroom. But apparently, re- uh, re-entered the school after being suspended, and then came back and continued to do the same thing in the hallway, even after being removed from the from the teacher's classroom. Again, it's it's possible. That it occurred, but they also put, posted this hilarious drawing, which of course is making all the meme meme rounds that uh, this student drew. Just a circular face with Adolf Hitler's mustache and a smiley face underneath. And then, uh, what does it say here? There's apparently a hand-drawn message, I think. I'm going to do my best to read it. It's pretty bad, but it's uh, it's not bad like it's a bad message or anything. Uh, it just says, Dear Mr. Robley, I personally something don't understand why you wear a, a no-cap man bun. And then it says, exclamation point, and then it says something else, and it says, So I switched telling a teacher I don't appreciate you. It seems It seems beyond bizarre. We we know (laughs) we know the capacity of individuals to completely fabricate something like this and play the victim. And this happens constantly. So they can scream anti-Semitism at the top of their lungs. I just I find it comical. I I don't necessarily believe it. If it happened, fine, I really don't care. I don't think he should be brought up on criminal charges, for God's sakes. It seems a bit extreme. Um, you know, expel him. There are a thousand other things you can do rather than file criminal charges against him. Again, it seems like a giant scare tactic, and I just don't believe it. So there's that. But the memes are hilarious. So yeah, keep them coming, I guess. Uh, Let me see here. Here's another one. This is from the postmillennial.com. It states the following. Exclusive female student alleges she was raped in trans-inclusive bathroom at New Mexico Middle School. Quote, I was raped, I was raped, I was raped, effing kill me, they said, apparently. Cicely sent this my way from New Mexico. Um, Maggie, who who could, it says, Maggie could barely believe the words that she was reading in her daughter's diary, but the words were real. And they were the first to finally explain the sudden mental health crisis that had captured her formerly happy, healthy 12-year-old daughter. The diary entry referred back to an incident in October of 2021 when her daughter, Ray, this is all made-up names, of course, a sixth grade, a sixth grader at Ask Academy Charter School in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, was allegedly raped inside the girl's bathroom by an older biological male student. It is alleged that when the male student first entered the girl's restroom, Ray was washing her hands and didn't take particular notice of the student's sex. Nor was she aware of his gender identity. But before she knew it, the male student walked over to her, pinned her against the counter, wrestled her to the floor. After hitting her head. head, uh, he allegedly held her down, ripped her pants, and raped her. So there you go. Uh, l- ladies and gentlemen, this is the kind of stuff that is being allowed by their governor in New Mexico. It's these kinds of policies that are leading to these kinds of crimes and this is one of many reasons, again, just another another note in the fish jar as to why you should leave the American public school system, without a doubt. The legislation that is coming down the pipeline here regarding both sides of the political aisle are actually destroying the American public school system, whether they know it or not. And I love it. In fact, it's going to be the topic for my next substack, which should be out this weekend, but This, again, is more evidence of that. On the right side of the political spectrum, so to speak, you have the defunding of these public schools because less people are showing up and there's a financial crunch at the state level, which means they have less money to give the local schools. So on the right side of the proverbial aisle, they're crushing American public schools. It's great. On the left side, they continue with their degeneracy. They continue with their illegality. And that's doing what? It's pushing the most logical-minded human beings out of the school system, which is creating the financial crisis that the right is having to respond to and the left is having to respond to. There's really no better example, I, I don't think, Then again, I've used this example before, but it's the scene in the first Star Wars movie, well, episode four, where they're in the trash compactor. It's the same thing, except R2-D2's not sticking his pieces into, into a wall to stop the trash compactor. Both sides of the political aisle are pushing on both walls of the trash compactor and closing it shut. And it's being closed from multiple angles, not just the left and the right, but the top and the bottom. And the American public, of course, are not participating as much which is going to lead to the entire collapse. Again, the writing is on the wall here, and this is a beautiful thing. In fact, that leads me to this very quick story. A listener of the show who listens uh, in New York and has emailed me, and I've brought up some of their emails in the past. They just emailed me and said, we're officially homeschooling. We're done. We are officially out of the school system. We're homeschooling with Abeka. We're using Abeka's and we are on board 100% and looking forward to it, and we're not looking back. It's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's one of the major motivators for this show, of course. There are multiple motivators, I think, and multiple purposes for this show, but that's certainly one of them and one of the larger ones. And I'm glad it's happening. In fact, that reminds me very quickly. I wanted to, I wanted to mention this, too, in regard to that the last episode where I played that audio clip from the school board member. That deranged school board member, and they are certifiable, they said uh, out of their own mouth that all this is going to do, all this legislation, so to speak, from, from the proverbial right, certainly in the state of Ohio, all it's going to do is, is be a drain on the taxpayer. All it's going to do is just be a, a giant hindrance and drain on the taxpayer. No, it isn't. It, it, it isn't. She couldn't be further from the truth. She's making that statement, claiming that she believes that more tax levies are going to pass in the future, and they won't. The longer that they continue their nonsense and the longer that inflation and recession depression continue to exist financially among the vast majority of Americans, the last thing That's going to be propped up by Americans is the American public school system. They're not going to open their wallets to help fund your degeneracy so you can have girls' field hockey again. That isn't going to happen. There won't be a drain on the American taxpayer because, again, your levies won't pass. So I don't know what planet they're living on, but they're not living in reality. And yeah. I think it's fantastic. Here's another one, too. Again, just another uh, no, another nickel in the jar, so to speak, as to why you should leave the American school system. A Richard Hanena, if I'm saying that right, probably not. This is from the Reader app and a, a Twitter thread that they had. I think Cicely threw this my way also. New York City had a test for teachers. It says whites passed at a higher rate than minorities. Now the city has set aside over $1.8 billion to pay failed applicants. It says one woman failed 10 times. When she heard about the lawsuit, she felt vindicated because she learned the test was the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My God. Let me read through this. It says thousands of black and Latino former teachers in New York City stand to collect more than $1 billion after the city recently stopped fighting a decades-long discrimination lawsuit that found a licensing test was biased. It says the concession by the city in recent months means around 4,700 one-time New York city teachers, who were demoted or fired since 1995 because they couldn't pass the state licensing exam, can go to court to collect a piece of the funds. So far, 835 million in judgments, dollars in judgments have been awarded to more than half that group. And the city said it would set aside nearly $1.8 billion in the coming years to cover all potential claims. Quote, it was time to bring this long-standing case to a close, New York City Law Department spokesman said. It says the teacher showed in court that white test takers passed at statistically significant higher rates than black and Latino test takers. At times, over 90% of white test-takers passed, compared with fewer than 62% of black test-takers and 55% of Latinos. It then says, a pivotal 2012 court ruling found the test violated Title VII of the Civil Rights Act in part because it didn't relate to what teachers do in the classroom and wasn't an indicator of better-performing teachers. Okay. All all right. I mean, I agree with some of that for today's testing, but uh, I mean, please, you know, this is the problem: is is that they are giving the certification exams to people who don't have bachelor's degrees in education, so they don't align. Not to mention, they aren't reading about education on their own in their spare time, so when it comes to taking any kind of a test, they're just not going to do well. It is that whole studying thing after all, and retention of information and comprehension and you know that kind of matters. It continues here. It says Sylvia Alvarez is one of those former New York City teachers benefiting from the case through a one point one million dollar judgment she is now collecting payments on. Miss Alvarez tried ten times to pass the exam before she lost her teaching job in Brooklyn in two thousand three. She landed a private preschool making less than half her prior salary of $45,000, which meant she could barely afford rent in Queens, and her two daughters had to return to Puerto Rico, where the family is from, to live with their grandparents. She remembers falling to her knees and crying when she learned about the class action lawsuit, relieved to learn the test itself was part of the problem. It gave me back my life, she said the 56-year-old, it gave me the sense of release that I wasn't failing. Well, you did fail. You did fail. I, I, again, I, I don't know what the test entailed, but this is, this is part of the problem is that when it comes to these certification exams that exist, you can take, you can take mock certification exams online to see the kind of information that's on the test. Now, look, if there was really a problem with the test, so be it. But this has more to do, I think, with the fact that minorities weren't passing, and New York wanted more minorities in the classroom, and they just weren't passing. I think that's, a, I think that's about it. Um, let me see here. Payouts are up to $2 million. It says the lady who failed 10 times used her money to buy a house. Well, there you go. Not a Bentley? It says a man who failed five times was awarded $1.2 million. Yikes. Uh, it says payouts range from a few hundred dollars to nearly $2 million, the spokesman said. Ms. Alvarez says that she views the funds not as a windfall, but as money she would have earned had her career stayed on course. no, no. <laughs> No, Ms. Alvarez, you wouldn't have acquired $2 million from the early 2000s if you just kept teaching. Basic math would indicate that. And by the sound of things, math was probably on the test that you failed, which is why you failed. Good Lord. It continues. It says, and wraps up here, it says, the settlement helped her buy her first house in Puerto Rico and spend time with her daughters. Well, good for you. Paid for by the taxpayer. It says the career trajectories of the plaintiffs vary," said Joshua Schoen, who showed, uh, I'm sorry, who joined the case as a junior lawyer in 2000 and is now a partner at the law firm Struck and Struck in Levine or Levan LLP. It says some became career substitute teachers in New York; others found teaching jobs in other states. Many left the profession, quote, it's a generation of teachers whose lives were disrupted, whose careers were derailed, he said. Theodore Regis, 57, lost his New York teaching job in 2003 after failing the exam five times, and the court awarded him a $1.2 million judgment. My God. Now, I don't know if I've told you this story. I think I have. I failed the certification exam uh, the first, let's see, the first time I took it. I passed the area exam, the subject area exam, and I got only one question wrong on that. And I actually remember the question, and it was a bad question. It had to do with what's the number one cause of death in the United States. Again, I was a health education major. The number one cause of death in the United States um, was heart disease. And the answer, apparently based on the test, was cancer at the time. Well, that wasn't true. That was a statistical um, fallacy. It was just not, it was not real. So I got one question wrong. Of course, I passed the whole thing because I got every other question right. Where I failed, and I, and I kid you not, I failed by, I think, two or three points, was the written portion of the exam or the theoretical portion of the exam. And they ask you hypothetical questions about what you would do in, the, in a classroom setting. What's, what's jacked up about the test is you're handwriting this, by the way, back, back in the day. I hand wrote it with a pencil. None of this was done online. You actually had to walk into a room and bubble in your name and all this other stuff with other people in the room. And then there was a, a, a test proctor at the front of the room and all that fun stuff. But You're handwriting it in with a pencil, your answers to these hypothetical questions. And uh, it's not that the questions are absurd necessarily. They're situational by and large. But what's odd is, is the entire test is subjective because it's written out and someone has to read your answer. If the people reading your answer don't like your answer, then they mark you down. Well, I was taking the test at a very odd time in American history. I would say that it was on the borderline between what was and what currently is, and it was nuts because, again, these test proctors and, and specifically the individuals who grade the tests, they're given orders as to what to look for, what to mark down, and and what to accept. The further left you go, the more acceptable the answer. The further right you go, seemingly, certainly more toward the moral standing of of consequences and and what the real solution is to the problem, uh, the less likely you are to get the answer correct. And I took a test. uh, Again, I took these certification exams during that time when there was a real battle behind the scenes as to how to grade those exams. I ended up taking the test a second time and you can't make this up, I passed by one point. It's almost like they just felt bad. And they were like, well, he took it the first time. We see he failed by a few. He's basically answered the same questions the exact same way, so he's not going to change, so let's just pass him. And then they just passed me. And just like that, I was certified to teach in the state of Ohio, and I had reciprocity, and I was living in Florida, so I could teach in the state of Florida. And that was it. It was, uh, it was ridiculous, completely ridiculous. But, but again, the whole thing is remarkably subjective. And frankly, these people don't deserve a dime. So that's my summary on that. And now, of course, I can't even teach in the state of Ohio, a state where I've never even taught, certified, because I was a whistleblower in Florida. See how that works? <laughs> see, see, how the, see how the entire corruption actually operates now? See how far left they've gone? And again, now you can, of course, see how the departments of education operate and how their entire human resources and investigative bodies operate. They don't want the most morally sound people in these buildings. They want the compliers, including individuals that comply with illegality. That's what this boils down to. This is why the business will fail. This is why it is failing. This is why they are insolvent. This is why it will cease to exist. And here's another comical reason as to why it will exist. This comes from a website called theendoftheamericandream.com. The article is titled, Schools Are Now Allowing Children to Identify as Cats, Horses, Dinosaurs, and All sorts of Other Things. This, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, is not a new thing. It says, I seriously should have thought of this when I was a kid. If I could have answered every question a teacher asked by meowing like a cat or roaring like a dinosaur, there is no way they could have ever accused me of getting an answer wrong. And when it came time for a test or a quiz, I could have just responded to every question with the paw print. Of course, nobody would have actually been able to get away with such a thing decades ago when I was a kid because anyone that tried to pull this kind of stunt would have been immediately marched down to the principal's office. But now we live in a time when we are supposed to allow people to identify as anything they want. It's absolutely insane. It says, At a state secondary school in Wales, one student said to meow when asked questions by a teacher rather than answering in English, the Telegraph reported. Said in other schools, one apparently insists on being addressed as a dinosaur, one claims to identify as a horse, while another is said to wear a cape and demands to be acknowledged as a moon. And who's allowing this, of course? Yes, that's right. The entire environment, which means what is the mental state of the entire environment and the people working within? I'll tell you this other quick little story. This is the slippery slope that leads to people identifying as a cat and meowing when they want to be called on in the classroom setting. As we all know, back in the day, when you were in a classroom and you wanted to say something, you raised your hand. That progressed to, and this occurred when I was a school teacher, although I'm not retarded, so I didn't participate in this, but there were teachers who did. I'm not making this up. Instead of raising your hand to ask a question, you would have to raise a certain number of fingers, or you would have to make a fist, or your fist would have to be turned in a particular direction, or your hand would have to be bent at a particular angle up in the air to signify to the teacher what it is that you were requesting. So instead of the universal sign of I have a comment to make or I have to go to the bathroom or whatever, by simply raising your hand, the teacher would insist that they created this hand signal code system device thing where they would do these things with their hand gestures and then that would indicate to the teacher what it is that the student wanted to do. Was the student answering a question that the teacher had, or did the student have to go to the bathroom? Did the student have to go to the main office, or did the student want to respond to what some other student in the classroom had said? You can see how complicated and absurd this is, but this is one of those things, again, that would be introduced in professional development by complete retards as to why Students needed to do this so that it would somehow make it easier on the teacher, thereby making it easier on the student. I think I had a nosebleed just describing all of that and having that giant flashback. But that is something, again, that people would actually do, and by people I mean school teachers, would actually do in the classroom. And here's the kicker, it was a high school, and it was being done, not not just for freshmen but for seniors I can't I can't think of a more insulting approach to take with these children and with these minors and with these students but but that's what was happening and now here's what we have we have dress codes that are so perverse that students are wearing lingerie to class We have dress codes that are so perverse and absurd that they're wearing cat ears and cat tails. And litter boxes are allowed to be in men's and girls' bathrooms because there's either a deranged boy or a deranged girl that identifies as a cat. This is a real thing. This is happening. The homeschooling family is the only one that is going to succeed in this entire brainwashing operation. They're the only ones that are going to succeed. No one else will succeed. Everyone else will fail. I fully understand, again, that there are healthy-minded individuals that are consistently being sent to the public school, private school, charter school apparatus, and they have sound parents and, and a sound family, and they communicate, and I understand that that's happening. My worry is that it only takes a certain amount of time in order to snap that mind and to get those individuals that are seemingly healthy minded to believe things that are not real. Again, they're already believing things that aren't real because of the curriculum that exists in school. But we don't know when these children are going to snap. We don't know when they're going to start believing something that isn't real. And it's not that they're going to transform themselves into a dinosaur and start signing everything with an ink filled, uh, you know, a paw. That that's somehow their signature now. It, we, we don't have to wait for that insanity. It can be something more subtle. and uh, And again, I, I just don't think that the American family wants to wait around for that to happen to their child. So there you go. I applaud anyone and everyone who is pulling their children out because ladies and gentlemen, now is the time. It is June. now is the time. We're coming up to July. A lot of people are having problem filling these education jobs too, which leads me to this. I have to read this. This came from our excellent educator in Louisiana who is approaching their final year uh, in the profession, thank God. And they said the following. They said, quote, with people retiring or dying or whatever, Jabs, we have a shortage of teachers and administrators. They said, Well, our new superintendent is having trouble refilling principal positions at some relatively good high schools, quote unquote. So, in his attempt to attract more people to the position or positions, he wants to nearly double the salary in hopes of attracting someone. After speaking to the principal that is retiring, I learned the following Number one, not only would you be the head principal, at the local high school, but you would also be given the supervisor role of all principals to the feeder schools in this small city. And then they said, number three, that's five elementary school principals, one middle school and one junior high school. They said that is insane. With discipline alone, there's no way that you could do any of the schools justice. That big salary will come with a big old headache. Smiley face emoji, laughing emoji, smiley face emoji. 100% true. 100% true. This This is the dire straits that they are in. And as you've heard me say, and I said this a long, long time ago, look at the well that they're pulling from. The well is dry. How many people are becoming teacher education majors in American universities these days? It has to be next to zero. It has to be dwindling at a rate that is closing down teacher education programs, which is why they're coming up with all of these alternative methods to certification. They're doing that because they know that these schools and these teacher education programs are getting no one in their classrooms, and they're probably graduating even less. The well is dry. There's nothing left anymore. So now they're resulting to this, which is having to pay principals or offer up principals twice what they would have normally made in order to supervise more people, which ultimately means the school principal is taking up the job of what a college professor would be doing or even an adjunct professor, or any, anybody in any supervisory role. They're, they're just having to spin too many plates and do way too many things. I even brought this up to my dad, and he started laughing. He said the, the funniest day, and the happiest day, rather, for that school principal who accepts that job is going to be the day that they get their paycheck. The other 29 days of the month, they're going to be miserable. It isn't worth it. It's collapsing. It's just collapsing. These schools are closing because they can't fill them with students. They can't fill them with teachers. They can't fill them with administrators, which means you don't have a business. I love it. Burn it to the ground. Homeschooling is the only way. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not done yet. I'm going to end with this. This is a quote from Michael Crichton. Yes, that Michael Crichton, the The writer, the fiction writer, the thriller writer, the book writer, that guy. uh, It says the following. It says, here's what Michael Crichton had to say about scientific consensus back in 2003 when he gave a lecture at the California Institute of Technology titled, Aliens Cause Global Warming. He said the following, quote, I want to pause here and talk about this notion of consensus and the rise of what has been called consensus science. I regard consensus science as an extremely pernicious development that ought to be stopped cold in its tracks. Historically, the claim of consensus has been the first refuge of scoundrels. It is a way to avoid debate by claiming that the matter is already settled. Whenever you hear the consensus of scientists agrees on something or other, reach for your wallet because you're being had. Let's be clear, he said. The work of science has nothing whatsoever to do with consensus. Consensus is the business of politics. Science, on the contrary, requires only one investigator who happens to be right, which means that he or she has results that are verifiable by reference to the real world. In science, consensus is irrelevant. What is relevant is reproducible results. The greatest scientists in history are great precisely because they broke with the consensus. There is no such thing as consensus science. If it's consensus, it isn't science. If it's science, It isn't consensus, period. Unquote. I I can't add anything to that. If that quote from 2003 by Michael Crichton doesn't summarize the state of affairs in the last three years, I don't know what does. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll catch you on Monday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.